0: I know that there's a a great risk at this moment. I've been watching church for the last couple of weeks, and uh, the risk is that I will make the mistake, uh, John Moore, the pastor that has uh, taught us well these weeks, uh, would say at this time, uh, kids, you're free to go for a wonderful time uh, with Miss Jamie and others, and I think it was last week, John, I'm not sure if I got it right, but last week where you said, uh, and you grown ups can go too, and that was a regretted comment. Uh, so, <laughs> but John, thank you a ton. Kids, it's time to go. Have a great time. If you want to go, unless you want to stay here, and, and uh, I, I didn't think so. So, um, but um, I, I do want to uh, tell so many of you personally, and I have, and I've tried not to miss anybody, but I'm, I'm super grateful for the many, many uh, people that have helped us walk through this. And um, I've told many people, Dad, that um, the passing of mom has, uh, has had lots of impacts on us. And I, I feel like uh, God has given us, uh, given you new interests, new energy. And uh, that comes from a heart that is embraced by Jesus in, in a time... Uh, where you say goodbye or at least see you later to your spouse of 69 years. So, um, anyway, Dad, it, even at this point, you're a model to me, and uh, thank you. I, um, I'm grateful. Um, <clears throat> today I want to talk to you about what my title is all about, and there's no concealing it, so I'll just say what I just prayed. Uh there's, there's no way I have a story to tell if it isn't about the Holy Spirit's very real um, help. I've literally told uh, so many people since last Sunday when I had the uh, very humbling um, privilege of standing here for the time that we could celebrate my mom, and I... Um, and I, I felt those moments, I was prepared for them to some extent that my heart could find its way to my throat, and then the rest is, you know, my wife said, here's a big handkerchief, take it with you, and stuff like that. And uh, I even had Pastor Michael, I just, kindness just wrecks me, but he said, if you, if you need help in the moment, just give me the signal and all, so thanks, thanks, brother, and, um, but I, I got to tell you something, um, in those moments i could hear a more intimate voice than any around me which was the holy spirit saying steve everything you're saying right now is true your mom is home with me because your mom had my son in her life that's that's the deal and he said it just it was like my my heart kind of settled down at that moment numerous times in our gathering and then He said, and by the way, what you're telling these people is true. Everyone who has my son in their life has life. They will, in fact, someday leave this life soon and come home to be with me because of what my son Jesus did for them. Amen? That, that is huge. And if you're hearing that for the first time, go to 1 John chapter 5 verses 11 and 12 and don't leave it until the Holy Spirit makes a big move. You'll know it. and and the, and And you repent. And you just say, come into my life, Jesus. I need you. And you know what will happen? The Holy Spirit will come in. You will then be one identified as having the Son. And suddenly this enormous peace will overcome you that you, your future is set and secure, and you will be at home with him on that day. I want to close my Bible and say we just had it. There's the sermon, okay? But I, I really believe that. I, I know the Bible teaches that. That's why I believe that. So um, <clears throat> uh, I want to go from that to something funny, okay? Because uh, the Bible tells me a uh, joyful heart is good medicine. So uh, I don't want to get sad for too long, um, but I want to be real. You know, hearts hurt, and they stay sad sometimes for long seasons. I get that. Uh, but I want to talk about a president that I was very impressed with and still am. He's, he's no longer president, and he's no longer alive. Uh, but it, I'm referring to President Ronald Reagan. And he said a lot of very, very funny things. He was famous for quick-witted words, right? And, and he was known to make people in Washington that are beyond serious, whatever that word is, um, laugh. He was known to just bring a chuckle and a bunch of, you know, in a, a press meeting, in a press conference. And, and um, he did a lot of that during his eight years in the White House. But none laughed louder, then when he said this, the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. And, and I don't know if he, origi- he probably didn't originate it, but who cares? You know, it is, it is the satire of that statement uh, lives on, doesn't it? I mean, really, the truth is most people get the humor of those words, because when they face the need, and pause for a moment and get that need that you're thinking of right now. When they face the need, government is often an unlikely source of help. Not always. I'm not throwing everybody under the bus. About 99%, no, just kidding. Do uh, you get the idea that people, their experience, have borne that out? to some extent. Uh, best-selling author, uh, M. Scott Peck. Raise your hand if you remember that name at all. Uh, so some of the 10 million people that bought his book, The Road Less Traveled, remember it. And if you, like me, became a fan of his, you realize that he wrote that book before he surrendered to Jesus. He had a Christian background in his parents and such, but he hadn't made a decision for himself. That was my story. I had Christian parents. I had a dad who was a pastor. That means he carries a key. I thought to heaven at the time, but to the church. He, he was, And I had to bow my knee myself. So Scott Peck wasn't a Christian when he wrote this book. But I, I think I've discovered the secret for why he sold an insane number of copies. The opening three words of the book rang a bell that kept ringing and ringing and ringing across this country and around the world in many, many languages. The book was printed. Three words. Life is difficult. You think, well, duh. Well, if you had said it, you would have made millions too on a book, right? Uh, Life is difficult. His simple Sentiment resonated with scores of people, and it still does. We haven't found the magic cure. Um, And let me be honest. I know that many of us have found uh, exceptions to difficult. So in other words, you're not sitting here going, I'm about to blow up because it's difficult all the time for me. Maybe, maybe, and I don't want to dismiss that for anybody here watching today, but, but most of us have found uh, alternatives, at least places where we can go and give us a, a reprieve, a respite from difficult. I, I think of Disneyland because uh, we used to live near it and went there often, and of course its nickname is the, the happiest place on earth, okay, and, and maybe it's true. That could actually be true. But let me remind you of those words. Happiest place on earth. So the standard isn't absolute happy. The standard is, can you come here and, and have happy for a time of the day or a time of your life? Uh, I don't know. Um, I, uh, I just got to tell you, today, by the way, is national... Day of laughter, did you know that? So this is fitting. Um, my good friend, uh, one of the West Falls children, Micah. Um, he's really witty with clever humor, and uh, these these are his words uh, in his honor. But also, it connects to Disneyland and has nothing to do with the Word of God. So, but anyway, um, I'll get there in a second. What does Mickey Mouse's wife drive? A minivan. That was way funnier than you're letting on. It really was. It was, was really good. Um, so it is true. Disneyland might help along the way, but y'all, it's only the happiest place on earth. and I'm not even convinced of that. Last Sunday, uh, while sharing at my mother's memorial service in this, in this room, I referred to words then that are, to me, one of the most treasured promises in all this book. They come out of Revelation. So when Genesis makes its way to the end of the Bible and you find yourself in Revelation, not surprising you would find a resolve that's, that's better than words, better than medicine, better than oxygen, better than Disneyland. Um. So I want to read those to you. And it's, these words describe all who, as I said earlier, have the Son. Describing heaven, the Apostle John, who was the human author of Revelation, said this. Look, in chapter 21, if you know your Bible, you know there's only one other chapter. Chapter 21, look, God's dwelling place is among his people. That's a start that's different than everything we've ever known. I know we say God's here in our midst and we believe that. We're going to sing about that in a second. But here's the deal. It's a physical description of a reality that is yet future. Look, said John near the end of the most uh, superlative-filled book of the Bible. He gets a prize. He gets a Pulitzer for coming up with enough descriptive language to try to capture for humans heaven. You've got to give them credit for that. The Holy Spirit certainly furnished the words. But back to the quote. Look, chapter 21, verse 3 says, God will dwell with his people and they will dwell with him. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Then this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Take that in. There will be no more mourning which comes for, from, from death. M O U R N I N G. No more crying, or here's a big word pain. None. Amen? And then it finishes with these words, for the old order of things will have passed away. Can I get a clap for that one, huh, folks? That's over. That's gone. It's done on that day. But here's a deep breath I'm taking right now to remind you that that day in Revelation is yet future. And that means you and me, earthbound people, have got to find a way to do difficult. How do you do difficult today? Who delivers help that, well, helps? Who does that? Um, My Bible's open to John chapter 13, and if you haven't turned there yet, I invite you to do that because we're in this series that is about nine months long so far, but we're coming to the end of it. Um, I want to take you to an evening this morning with Jesus, uh, which has received more attention than any other moment with the Master, according to the four Gospels. Okay, that's got you going, whoa, okay, okay. Nothing was talked about in more detail than the developments that took place on this one evening, this moment with the master. In fact, John, the same John that wrote Revelation, it's the John that wrote this gospel. And, um, and he actually uh, used almost one-third of his entire 21-chapter gospel focused on that night. So I'm not going to try to unpackage it all here, but it was this night that had his attention from chapters 13 all the way to chapter 18, which actually spills into the next morning and the crucifixion itself. I don't know what conclusion you draw from that, but it's likely the, the right one. That was a big deal. That night stood out. And I think you'll see why here. Um, uh, this, in fact, was that night, the last night that Jesus would spend with his disciples before going to a cross. Um, let's give this night a label that, that fits, okay? So let's call this night um, the night that defined difficult, okay? Okay. You with me on that? Is that okay? So what was that night about? Some outstanding teaching. The vine and the vine dresser, John 15. The Holy Spirit, John 14. Um, more on the Holy Spirit, John 16. The most amazing prayer, the true Lord's Prayer, John 17. It's all there. So why is Pastor Steve calling this that night the defined difficult? Well, let's start in with what what was going on. It was a gathering uh, for Passover, and Passover is about to start, and um, there's a festive feel. It's been a festive feel since way back in Exodus chapter 12 when God delivered his people. The death angel passed over the Egyptian uh, uh, homes that housed Hebrews uh, and uh, did not pass over, in fact, took out the firstborn male of every, every house without the sinless blood of a lamb. Or I, I say sinless, that's Jesus, but the, the blood of a perfect lamb, unblemished. So it was a standout night. It was filled with uh, unequalled drama. And ever since Exodus 12, it had been celebrated. It's a, it's a reflective evening. Uh, they reenact the deliverance when God's people were finally um, emancipated. They're, they're set free. Um, lots of symbolism in that night. They were enjoying this uh, Seder meal or attempting to, but uh, instead of the usual festive feel, Um, the tone around the table that night right out of the gate is tense look at verse one it was just before the passover festival jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the father having loved his own who were in the world think of the men in the room even at that moment he loved them to the end verse two the evening meal was in progress And trouble showed up. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So we got Jesus and 12 disciples and we have one of them that has a a heart that's already been prompted to go against Jesus. I don't know what that looks like, but it's dark, and it's a heavy feel. In fact, the mood of trouble filled the room as Jesus went from this moment to reveal his betrayer. You've got to turn the page and find your way to verse 21, and this is how the, the reveal went. After Jesus had said this, notice these words, and circle them if you're into circling words in your Bible. Troubled in spirit. Um, That's that's a, if I can put audible tone, it's words spoken with a quiver in the voice. There's something that's in the soul that's coming out. You know it and you can hear it in a speaker. In this case, someone like Jesus talking around the table, troubled in his spirit, and he testifies truly, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Now, his, the, the mood stopped at that moment. One of you is going to betray me. And and his disciples did what I would have done if I was there. They start to look around like, Who, which one? Who? Are you kidding me? One of us? And I don't know if they began to focus on one or somebody else for some reason. We're not told. One of you will betray me. They begin to look around at one another at a loss as to which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, presumably John, the writer of this gospel, sort of a modest way of putting it. One of them, John, was reclining next to Jesus. And Simon Peter motioned to John and said, Hey, hey, ask him which one it is. Find out for us. Which one is he talking about? So leaning back against Jesus, John asks, Lord, who is it? It's the one, Jesus says, whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it into this dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And a terrible verse to read is verse 27. As soon as Judas took the bread... Satan entered into him. He's gone from uh, promoting darkness in Judas' life to now being the possessor of darkness in his life. I don't know if he shook or revealed any evidence of that, but Jesus says to him, what you do, what you're about to do, do quickly notice verse 28 says no one understood why Jesus said this to him and they assumed well maybe he's going to go out and feed the poor because he was the treasurer something like that moments after this it it um, he Judas has left the room there are now 11 of them and Jesus next words are both: Um, concerning and confusing Uh, because he announces to the 11 that he's going to be leaving. Notice verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. Um, Maybe I feel that more personally today, but I've never liked goodbyes. I just haven't. I I have memories of being at my Grandparents' house, and my dad's mom and dad, and and um, it was time to go back home, and I remember um, my mom and dad would come and get us, and we would be in the in the car, three kids, and and, and our car was a um, was like a sedan, I guess I'm not sure uh, how big, but seemed big to a little kid, and w- there were three of us, so one got to lay in the back window sill remember that good old safety measure and then uh, and then one was across the seat and the one that really got ripped off was on the floor in the back seat and the hump in the middle and they're still walking with a limp today but anyway you get the idea right and I remember always wanting that back window because I could look back as we drove away at Mimi and Graham who stood in in the front uh, driveway of their house and I would just sob just bawl my eyes out and you know I think, how can I jump out of this car right now and, and just go back there? Because I, I didn't want to say goodbye. You know what I'm talking about. And, and so these guys probably had some of that, only maybe a, a heightened version of that because they'd been with the man, him, three years. And they hear him say, I, I'm going to be with you only a little longer. And you will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. And then he says this about a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know, all people will know, that you belong to me by the love you have for each other. And then verse 36, Simon asks him, Lord, where are you going? Clearly revealing he didn't have any interest in talking about this little love thing. His deal is, whoa, 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 you lost me back in verse 33. Where are you going? You're leaving. Why? Where are you going? Where I'm going you cannot follow now, Jesus replied, but you will follow later. Later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'd be willing to lay down my life. I don't care where you're going. Off a cliff, I'll do it. On a cross, I'll do it. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Will you? And then words that haunted him. Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Um, dinner was done. Yeah, there's more that went on that night, but if you're Peter, that was the showstopper. Uh, The festive feel, gone. A betrayer and a denier, both in the same circle. We sometimes miss that, don't we? We want to kick Judas to the curb, but we forget, you know, Peter, he's just called by a different name. But he denied him three times. Um, No wonder Jesus spoke the seven words that open the next chapter, chapter 14. Now he's speaking them really to 10. Peter didn't leave, but he really checked out. That's why I say 10. Judas left. Peter, you could have done this to Peter. Hey, hey, you with us? And he's still back there in verse 38 uh, going, what? What? What's he talking about? So these, these words, seven words, um, have special meaning. To those that night, do not let your hearts be troubled. Um, Jesus had just repeatedly stated that he was leaving. Um, Hard to hear. He's going away. Um, And it's hard to say goodbye. I think of the song by Andre Bocelli and uh, Sarah Brighton uh, if, if you've not s- heard that song, you're uh, I have I'm one of the fifty five million people that have listened to time to say Goodbye and I, and I and I know what's coming. I know how it feels when I hear those two sing it and uh, and I my heart's in my throat every time and and I think I know why it's soul sound. it's the s- souls. I'm not talking about Steve's little moment with his grandparents. I'm talking about all of us who have moments that are that are like that, like these disciples are experience. And I, and, I, and I, can I just go a step further to really connect this? Um, it's true if you if you're saying goodbye to a pet, a beloved pet. I have friends that that lose pets, and and it's not a, you know it's not a laughing matter it's it's a broken heart it's true if you're taking your child to college i man i need, needed therapy for years after that one that was i and i'll go back it's true when you take your first to kindergarten that is just i was just somewhere between broken hearted and angry at this teacher that's going to take my child you know it was just rough you know what i'm talking about right and you know what else I don't need to say how hard it is when it's a beloved friend or a family member, right? You know that. Um, so most of us can relate, I think, to the disciples when Jesus said to them that night, it's time for me to go. Those were not welcome words. Uh also hard, of course, the re- the other reason made it difficult that night was the abandonment of two of his disciples. I have a friend that refers to Judas uh, this way, in case you've poured your life into somebody and they they just pitched it all. I don't know if you know somebody like that. Judas was Judas in spite of Jesus. Now we, we go, well, yeah, but it was pro- prophesied and all that, but understand this. There was the, the human sorrow that went with it. Jesus was fully God and fully man, so we can't miss that piece, can we? And he he poured himself into uh, nowhere in the Bible is there a hint that he gave himself really to eleven and left Judas for fending for himself. Not that, not. Nah. So by morning. Both of those men, Judas and Peter, had failed and fallen away. So no wonder Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Theirs were. I'm convinced. You don't say that unless you see the look of trouble on their faces. And can I add another? His was as well we could trace this all the way to the garden across the valley, the Kidron Valley from the upper room in Jerusalem and you will find the gospels reporting that Jesus sweat drops of blood because his heart was deeply troubled so um, if yours has been or is, then what Jesus said later that same night was spot on And it was serious medicine if you're struggling or you know somebody that's struggling. Um, And it's later in chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father. This is the same night. And he will give you another advocate to help you, big word there, and be with you. Forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and I love this will be in you. It's so good. So needed today, isn't it? That was that was oxygen to these disciples. The Holy Spirit. Is with you if you have your my son in you. The Holy Spirit is with you, and in fact, He will help you. That's what Jesus is saying to His men. The Holy Spirit. Notice the word "new living." Called a uh, New International calls it "advocate." It's translated a variety of ways. It's the Greek word. It's a cool word to say, parakletos, Okay. And what it means is someone called or summoned alongside another to assist. So when he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you someone called to come alongside you and assist. The word is help. Isn't that great? This is a God that doesn't leave us alone. The Holy Spirit is all you would want or need in trouble. Y'all, that's so true. He uses others as a delivery system all the time. Hebrews 3, Hebrews 10, 1 Thessalonians 5. It's all over the Bible. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. You know, pour it out. But no one's better at that than the advocate, the one summoned alongside to assist to deliver help the Holy Spirit stands beside us and provides timely help to my question earlier how do you do difficult you don't do it alone you you don't not with any measure of success 100% of my response to last Sunday can I tell you right now to this moment is the credit of the Holy Spirit of God saying, Steve, it's true. Keep telling it. Keep inspiring my people to hold on to me, to cling to me for help because they need it. Philip Yancey, you've heard me tell a hundred times that he's my favorite author. One of the reasons is his simple insightful words about the Holy Spirit. Listen to this one sentence. The very titles, writes Yancey, of the Holy Spirit, intercessor, helper, counselor, comforter, those are all titles used. I could give you passages where they're used in the New Testament. The very titles, Yancey says, of the Holy Spirit imply that there will be problems. Why do you need an intercessor? Show me your hand if you've ever prayed a prayer and you're not sure it got past the ceiling. Right? Show me your hand if you've ever been in so much pain, you couldn't put words. You you couldn't. There were no words. There were just tears. And, And in that moment, you felt heard. It's the Holy Spirit interceding, Romans 8. Amen, amen. That's you're not alone. He lives in you. That's what he says in verse 17. He will not only be with you; he will be in you. Wow. I want to I want to take you to one other verse that I've found great help in, and it was um, centuries before this night that we've just. Thought about when the sons of Korah, they're like the worship team in the temple. They led people in God's into God's presence. They were worship leaders, assistants in the temple, um, and they they um, are responsible, humanly speaking, for about a dozen psalms. Psalm forty-six is one of those. You can turn there if you want, but. I just want to tell you about verse 1, because Psalm 46 is, in fact, um, great news uh, for people who are in trouble, people then, and people in this room. Um, And what they, um, you probably, some of you came today, some of you are joining us today online, because there's a measure of trouble that's really about to take you down. And so Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. He is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in trouble. Think of what you know of refuge. Uh, An image of Oklahoma comes to mind in Tornado Alley. Debbie, my my bride Debbie, came from that part of the country, and they all have basements, most of them. And that's a place that they go to hide when tornado sirens go off and all that stuff. we don't have that here. We hide for riots here. But anyway, um, and and shelter, refuge comes to mind. So uh, shelter in danger is what a refuge is, right? So we're we're not reading here of some promise that says because we belong to Him, we'll be removed from the problem. It's not what the Bible's teaching. It says He will be a refuge in. The problem. You see the difference? You may be in the fire for a while. You may be in the flood for a while. You may be in the hurt for a while. But you're not in it alone. Not for a second if you belong to Jesus Christ. Not for a second. So he's our refuge and he's our strength, we're told. What did, what did, trouble, why, why would you say strength? Here's my autobiography, because trouble takes it out of you, doesn't it? Difficulty comes, and it takes it, you get tired, you get weary, you get worn out. You start staring at walls. Um, But the Holy Spirit comes alongside, and he does what? He is our strength. That means he renews our strength. Question. You're in Psalm 46, verse 1. How often does he renew our strength? Like a Tesla overnight? <laughs> ever present is how the verse ends. He is our ever present help. Uh, the entire time we're in trouble. So, are you in trouble today? Are, are you in difficulty? Today? Do you need help today? Um, Then Jesus says, Let me in. I will come into your life and I will take up permanent residence there and I will bring with me refuge and strength in an unending, continuous way. These words that I want to read to you now sum up what I've been trying to get at in this moment with the master in describing life is difficult. And I know this, uh, not all phone calls are made in a casual way. That's why we have 911, right? If you have a, a real problem, You call 911, and it's like stepping on the gas to get help. What I'm saying is some troubles are urgent. They call for urgent kind of help. The Holy Spirit's help is better than urgent. It's absolute, immediate, ever-present. So I want to challenge some of you to correct a view. I've had this view, so I know what I'm talking about. I'm around this view because I share moments like this with lots of people. And it's it's a view that, that has a version of God somehow distracted when I need him the most or disinterested um, when I face the most difficulty. Eugene Peterson writes, We need not muddle through half the day or half our lives before God shows up, rubbing his eyes and asking if there's anything he might, that we might want him to do for us. He knows the kind of world we live in and our vulnerability in it. Isn't that great? He knows that about our space. In fact, he himself took up dwelling in this place. John chapter 1, verse 14. He moved into the neighborhood, and he anticipates our needs ahead of time and plans ahead of time for caring for our needs. He is there right on time. so let's ask him for help now will you join me let's pray let me lead us in prayer and we're gonna move right from prayer into communion and responding to him in wonderful worship Um, please join us online stay with us now for this really sensitive appeal uh, from a God who describes himself as the helper um thank you for starters lord that you are the helper holy spirit you didn't come to just be this uh, somehow forgotten god that's 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 not part of the day-to-day you're in this very moment thank you for being in this moment and for being our go-to in times of difficulty Because of you, we can follow Jesus' words to not let our hearts be troubled. Give your troubles today, people, would you? Give them to Jesus Christ. His help is always, always present and timely. You do that right now, just whisper to him, I need your help.